Welcome, everyone, to Politics Express, our new recurring politics podcast. I am your host, Lars Emerson, the Post Writer's State and Science Editor. This episode, we're discussing the Biden administration's first eight months and what legacy this administration is poised to have based on what we know now. We're at a tipping point for the nascent Biden administration. The United States is leaving Afghanistan and a takeover by the Taliban has rapidly ensued. There's a resurgence of nightmarish levels of COVID-19 brought on by the Delta variant and a democratic crisis at home that President Biden is powerless to address on his own is undermining faith in our electoral system. But he is also on the verge of a massive bipartisan infrastructure deal, something that eluded many of his predecessors. He has already enacted a $1.9 trillion relief act and may even be on track to authorize a $3.5 trillion expansion of what he calls soft infrastructure, all with the slimmest possible majority in the Senate and one of the smallest majorities possible in the House. So about eight months in, and with significant headwinds bearing down on him, but some amazing momentum at his back, we're here to talk about Biden's first eight months, what's gone well, what's gone wrong, and what we can say about Biden's legacy this early in his term. With me today to discuss is the Post Writer's Editor-in-Chief, Michael Levito. Hello. And Post Writer contributor, Lewis Ryan. Hello, Lars. Thank you for letting me be here today. Oh, of course, Lewis. So <laughs> I think the best way to do this is I want to talk about this in roughly three segments, kind of Biden's spring, his summer, and then his fall. So first of all, Biden, of course, came into office on January 20th on the heels of the insurrection at the Capitol. So let, let's talk about kind of his first three to four months in office, you know, kind of his cabinet, COVID-19 relief, uh, and of course, the threat on democracy. What, uh, what are you guys' thoughts on kind of when Biden first comes in? Well, so I think right off the bat, he did a lot of uh, stuff that people wanted him to do, or at least I think we all assume he wanted to do, which is just sign a lot of executive orders, reversing a lot of Trump's decisions. Um, when it came to stuff like the Paris Climate Agreement and uh, the border of Mexico and uh, the WHO and all of that. So, you know, I think if, if you if you read his election as a, a mandate to not be Donald Trump, then I think, you know, it went pretty well. Um, I, as far as the, the other stuff goes with sort of the capital right and things like that, I don't know that. Um, well, he also signed. I'm out of dates. Was the first the first stimulus? Was that was that also in his? Like, yes. So that, yeah. that, the $1.9 trillion came out in March. That was his first significant legislative achievement. Yeah. Which, you know, most of the country was in support of and I think was, you know, a good thing to do. So, you know, I, I think he did a good job as he possibly could have, you know. Um, definitely, you know, the, the, the rate of vaccination also ramped up as well. I could you Can you attribute that 100% to Biden? I think it was mostly sort of, you know, local and state administrated. But I think, you know, you, you get credit for the sun and credit for the rain. So I think that goes in his favor as well. Okay, Lewis. Yeah, I feel like uh, I'm just going to be echoing a lot of what Mike said, that you could sort of feel in the air when Trump finally left office on the 20th and Biden became in charge. But to me, it didn't really feel like um, things had sort of calmed down until after the impeachment hearings for Donald Trump, which were certainly necessary even if they were, um, you know, null and void from the outset due to, you know, partisan politics, obviously. Um, but after that concluded, it definitely felt like, OK, Biden's in charge now. We could all sort of breathe a sigh of relief. Obviously, dealing with COVID-19 was the greatest um, priority for Biden to tackle. And I feel like he did a pretty good job. Obviously, I would it have been the same with Trump in charge, maybe. I don't know. I mean, he, this vaccine was certainly developed under the Trump administration, so it's hard to say. But I do think Biden was certainly more pro-vaccine than Trump was and um, less prone to um, denying science and facts than, than Trump was. So I would say in that score that he was definitely successful in implementing um, strategies and procedures to tackle the COVID-19 pandemic. A, a better messenger, for sure. But yes, 
there is some credit to the Trump administration for this very rapid investment in vaccine development. Um, Lewis, you actually brought up an interesting thing that I, I feel like has been almost forgotten is the first you know, month of Biden's term is dominated by the impeachment of former President Trump. Uh, are you guys as amazed as I am how quickly we just kind of have moved past that and how like Biden never really talks about it? He never says Trump's name just kind of in general is a thing I've noticed, you know, covering him professionally and personally. Uh, but like I didn't even think about that when I was planning out this podcast. I mean, I, I, a, there's literally nothing he can do about it. Like it is not within his powers as president to impeach one of his predecessors. Well, sure. Um, and as far as like not mentioning, like I, I was reading today about, um, I was reading the posts, the Washington Post report card on Joe Biden. And they actually talked about how. I didn't realize this, but when Biden gave the sort of initial address about the Afghanistan withdrawal, he actually didn't mention Trump, even though he obviously talked about the and we'll talk about Afghanistan more later, even though he did talk about, you know, the, the peace treaty he signed. I think it's I, I think it's a good idea. There, there's you 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 win. You gain nothing by invoking him constantly because, yeah. you know, it a it just reminds people of him more and just makes him angrier. And B, you know, it it just sort of. It 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 it, be, it it becomes very easy for them to be like, oh, well, Biden's just playing the blame game, right? And it's not, there's really no purpose in, like, giving Trump more oxygen or, or insisting that he looms so large over the White House that he's tied Biden's hands, which I think was the case with Afghanistan, but again, we'll get to that later. But, um, yeah, I... There's there's just I, I don't know what people want Biden to do about Donald Trump. Actually, he, he already beat him. I don't know what else they want him to do. They, they he, he can't just unilaterally arrest him. You know, I, I just I don't really understand. It, indeed. But, you know, the kind of the a, a critique of Biden has kind of been how much, you know, he's compared what's happened in states like Georgia and Texas uh, in terms of. Uh, you know, making voting harder to like, you know, the new Jim Crow. Right. But the, the sense of urgency to do anything about that is very limited. And I realize that it's a legislative fix. Right. But you don't really see the urgency from this White House, despite an attack on the Capitol. Yeah. And again, I think part of that is a like you said, it's a legislative fix. You know, he can recommend that they sign these voting rights legislations, but he can't actually make them do it. I do also think that there's a I, I think Biden actually wants to remain as non-controversial as he possibly can. And, you know, he does actually want to be a uniter. And I think that even though he, he did refer to it as the new Jim Crow, um, I, I think that, you know, sort of not going as deliberately after them as maybe he could have, I think, is part of that. And I think it's just I actually think it is lower on his list of priorities. I think now it's the pandemic in Afghanistan and the economy are much higher than voting rights. And I, I, I'm one of those people who is I don't like the laws that were passed in Texas and Georgia, um, partly because, you know, they would not have been passed had Trump won the election. Like, I think that's pretty un, undeniable. But like, I'm also skeptical that it is going to so severely impact the elections in those states that it will make them fraudulent, like not fraudulent, but that'll make them sort of illegitimate like i i i'm and i don't mean to downplay the extra burdens they may put on some voters but to compare this to something like the poll tax or the grandfather clause it, it is over the top like a and again i'm someone i do not want these laws passed i would like to see federal voting law legislation made that would sort of invalidate them but i do think that we can get a little ahead of ourselves when we talk about the actual effects of it well, and, you know, there's an argument to be made that in terms of the making voting harder, that that may actually encourage more people to go out and vote. The, the yeah. flip side to these bills, like the, the Georgia bill in particular and kind of what's happening in Arizona is these methods for the legislator to say, just kidding, we are actually just going well, yeah. to appoint the electors. Yes, yes. yes. Which I, I think actually the Democratic establishment at large has completely dropped the messaging on. I, I get why they want to stay focused on like they're trying to make it harder for you, little Jimmy, to vote mm -hmm. uh, instead of talking about, look, guys, they <laughs> they're literally trying to like make it so that even if you vote mm -hmm. one way, they can stop you. Yeah.
that that is true yeah um and maybe they, they need more targeted messaging when it comes to that way i um i don't know it'll be interesting to see you know what will happen in three years um i don't maybe i'm being an optimist here i don't think any actual attempt to not certify an election in say arizona or georgia would actually stand up in the courts but maybe i'm being naive but yes i agree things should be done to clarify that um it is the popular vote in each state and again i know actually technically it's the state that determines that but there should be clarifications passed and however you need to do it to make it so that you know a legislature cannot unilaterally overturn or send their own slates of electors to uh the uh to to congress good idea mike lewis i want (laughs) to Uh, I want to turn to you uh, just briefly as we kind of wrap up Biden's spring. So, you know, COVID-19 is kind of the main thing he's doing uh, in the spring. Like Mike said, he did a lot of executive orders. But to be fair, that's the easy thing to do, right? You can (laughs) issue as many executive orders as you want on day one. But COVID-19 is something he had like a major legislative achievement behind. You were living in Florida at the time, uh, kind of when COVID is on the wane in the spring, uh, and you have, of course, a governor there who was very uh, antithetical to everything uh, <laughs> COVID safety and Biden administration uh, goals there. Uh, how how did you feel about kind of the spring and Biden's reaction to COVID versus the state of Florida's? Oh, gosh, it's so hard for me to say. I was living in Orlando, which is a very blue area of the state generally. It was very high in terms of vaccinated people um but yeah it's very it was very lax down in florida very little government interference from ron DeSantis at all which is sort of the classic uh, republican it's like you know elect me and i'll do nothing which is very frustrating <laughs> i remember trump business. promising that too <laughs> <laughs> no but you, you get what i'm saying right it's, and it's like people are like People who support him are like, oh, he's doing such a great job. And but it's like he's literally, you know, doing nothing in a way. So it's just it's just a little confusing to wrap your head around. Um, I don't know, though. Uh, uh, it's hard for me to distinguish like that, like COVID literally stops at states borders, you know, and borders of counties and whatnot. So it's just like an ongoing thing everywhere. So it's like, you know, wherever there's people. Obviously, COVID will be higher and then places where there's relatively less people, like somewhere like Wyoming or somewhere more rural. So it's it's just hard, you know, whether you're living in New York City in a metropolitan area or Orlando, relatively metropolitan area. It's just it's just something to keep in mind. And it's 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 just, you know, you can, we can credit Biden all we want for like legislative achievements. But that, you know, it's like you could pass a law to make COVID illegal, but that's not really going to do anything. <laughs> But it's like compared to Trump, who is like literally doing nothing. <laughs> um, it's it's a monumental achievement what, what Biden did when he got elected and sworn in. In terms of messaging, certainly, I, I wouldn't say that the Trump administration did nothing. Uh, I'm not saying what they did was dramatically different than what any other administration would have did in terms of vaccine development. Um, but yes, I actually think I agree with you, Lewis. I think uh governors reactions to covid is like i think people overestimate their effect uh, and data has kind of borne this out where it's like florida didn't actually suffer much more than any other state uh in overall numbers right it's like different states peaked at different times uh but at, at the end of the day you kind of have a good point there it's more about but i think that lets us kind of move on to this thing where it's like it's more about the message, right? It's like if you have a president and a governor who are telling you, you know, maybe masks don't even matter. It's like, uh, whatever, we got to get over it. It's all about the economy. That does matter. It's all about how people react to this. And if you have a governor who's like, masks don't matter and, you know, get a vaccine whenever, that, and that's being reiterated by other governors, uh, that's a problem when you try to address COVID seriously, as the Biden administration has done. So, Obviously, in the Biden administration's first uh, first few months, there's a lot of team building and just, you know, learning your way around the White House, which presumably he <laughs> kind of knew, of course, being vice president for eight years. Um, how do you feel as we wrap up Biden's spring about his team, his cabinet, uh, 
you know, how Vice President Harris has done, uh, kind of the people he's surrounded him with. Because that's kind of the most major stuff you do in your first couple of months, right? Is, yeah, he had that one legislative achievement, but he's got, you know, a dozen cabinet secretaries and whatnot, too, who were all Senate confirmed. So let's let's talk about them. Can we can we talk about Jen Psaki? Psaki? Sure. The White House press secretary, Jen Psaki. Yeah, I think she's she's been absolutely fantastic, you know, sort of the the face of the administration behind Joe Biden. Obviously, I think she's done a pretty good job. It's like the last four years with um, the, the press secretaries that preceded her. It was like and then me personally watching like the West Wing on a marathon on HBO Max. It's like hard to believe that someone could be as good as like CJ Craig. But then you see someone like Jen Psaki and it's like, oh, right. That's how it's supposed to be. Like this kind of person or thing can actually like exist in the real world again. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. I had to watch her almost every single day because the White House briefings kind of fell away for a while <laughs> under Trump. Uh, but then the Biden administration brought back the daily briefing. So I had to watch her as part of my old job literally every day. Uh, yes, very competent, but very uh, these briefings went long is what I remember. <laughs> um, well, what about uh, what about the cabinet, Mike? You got any thoughts on this? Uh, particularly uh, it's a pretty experienced and comprehensive cabinet. I ran an article on the Post Writer kind of about how diverse this cabinet is. Certainly more diverse than any in American history, but that kind of goes without saying. Yeah, I I think it's a pretty pretty non-controversial cabinet, really. I, I think yeah. you know, especially after the Trump cabinet, where it's like, you know what? Why 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 shouldn't Ben Carson run the housing <laughs> department of housing and urban development um, and things like that? They're they're pretty. Um, they seem pretty cohesive. You, it doesn't. You're not get. And again, I think part of this is just because Trump is probably a. I think Trump is a very different. Biden's a very different manager than Trump. And also, I just think that if you're a Democrat, you you feel better about Biden. And I think most Republicans felt about Trump, frankly, early mm. on the early going. You're not getting the spats between, uh, you know, Trump and, say, Rex Tillerson. You're not getting that between, like, Byron Anthony Blinken or anything like that. Um, I, I, you know, maybe the appointment of Javier Becerra as HHS secretary is probably pretty politically motivated. I mean, it's a pretty clear... Becerra, who, who's done a lot of work to sort of expand abortion access, which, again, is a good a thing I agree with. But it's not like he's, you know, a, a, a public health bureaucrat being put in that position. But I think it's just a really interesting reflection of, of the Democratic coalition. I mean, you have Gina Raimondo, who is the governor of Rhode Island before that was a venture capitalist as secretary of commerce. And you have Marty Walsh, who was the mayor of Massachusetts. But before that was a union laborer, secretary of labor. Right. It's it's. I think he, he did a very good job of sort of creating, like I said, a cabinet that reflects the Democratic coalition, mm. but is also not sort of like, you know, we're not we don't have Rick Perry, secretary of, of energy. Although maybe Pete Buttigieg, secretary of transportation is like the closest analog. But I have more faith in Pete Buttigieg to run a cabinet department than I do Rick Perry, frankly. <laughs> what I want to know what you two think of um, of two positions, one, um, Janet Yellen and uh to Merrick Garland as attorney general. Sure. So I'll, I'll start with Janet Yellen. I mean, she's arguably probably the most qualified person to, who could be treasury secretary. Um, I mean, it, picking a former Fed chair for treasury secretary doesn't, I cannot think of any situation in which it had happened before. Uh, it's pretty noticeable. I mean, Janet Yellen is, you know, the, probably the most prominent economist in the United States up until uh, Trump replaced her with uh, Jerome Powell. I, I would say that was one of the least controversial picks by Biden and her 84 to 15 Senate vote kind of backs that up. I, I wasn't saying they were controversial. I just wanted to know what you guys thought. Yeah, I mean, Janet Yellen is also kind of interesting because she, uh, in a way, she's a lot like Biden in terms of her appeal is like she's like pretty clearly like an establishment, like moderate, not she's not. <laughs> She's she's pretty pro business and pro, uh, you know, banking because she was a central banker. Uh, but she also like really appeals to the left just because of her like experience and like technocratic ability to uh, enact reform. Uh, and I think that helped her be kind of non-controversial. Yeah, I, I would I, I would agree with Yellen. I think a pretty 
pretty competent, non-controversial pick, um, who who I think has uh, kind of like spun the the more interventionist sort of uh, economic policies of Biden into like a very palatable way for the kinds of people who will follow like Fed policy and who trust her. Um, as far as Merrick Garland goes, I know there are certain people who are upset that he is not more vigorously <laughs> trying to like pursue Trump and the Trump cronies and who are, you know, upset and that he they, he's still technically defending Trump against the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit. Mm. Um, you know, Garland, I got this reputation as like a liberal martyr because of what happened with his nomination to the Supreme Court, which I think was, you know, a horrible thing. But he, he is not, you know, I, I, he, he, he's not he's not he's not a crusading progressive. Right. Like he was chosen by Obama for the Supreme Court because he is very moderate, like Mitch McConnell. I mean, before it became politically advantageous for him to oppose him to the Supreme Court, literally said, I think he should be someone who was on the Supreme Court. <laughs> um, so but but I, I think, Frank, honestly, if you've been following a lot of the leaks, not leaks, but the reports that have been coming out about the Trump Department of Justice and how like perilously close they came to uh, intervening on Trump's behalf during the election as far as fraud investigations go, I'm pretty glad we have a pretty independent Justice Department. I think that's how the Justice Department should operate. And even then, you know, he has taken action in, he, I believe that, I would think they're still, the Justice Department is cur still currently suing Georgia for its voter laws. So, mm. I, and I honestly think that is more consequential than, you know, trying to, I don't know, retry Trump over Russia or what, whatever. Right. Um, so I, I think I think he's got his priorities in order. And it's it it it, it, it kind of sucks, right? If, if you're a certain brand of liberal who saw basically um, in, in rhetoric, if not in action, you saw basically all these conservative dreams come true when Trump was president in the sense that he was saying what they were all thinking and, and taking actions that was that was clearly at the very least gratifying to his constituency, right? And with Garland especially, I think he's really not trying. He's, he's that's not what he's trying to do. Like he he is an able administrator and 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 an attorney, and he's just trying to enforce the laws of the country. And he's not going to basically look at the sort of like resistance lib wish list and and start checking it off because frankly nobody should be doing that on either side of the aisle. And to, one last thing on Garland is uh, Mitch McConnell, of course, voted in favor of Garland's yes. appointment yes. as attorney general. Uh, before we move on to the summer, do you have any like quick thoughts on kind of uh, Vice President Harris? And Biden's given her uh, kind of every controversial issue and people <laughs> have kind of uh, given him some side eye for just kind of handing issues that he doesn't really want to take any criticism for over to her like uh you know like the border and uh other things so what what do you what how do you guys feel about how harris is doing to, to be frank i really have not thought about her a lot the past eight months um which i know is completely opposed to most people on the right who have only been thinking about her because they insist that Joe Biden's going to drop dead any minute and she's going to be president. I don't know where they all got their gerontology degrees, but that's what they all insist is going to happen. <laughs> um, I, I really don't have much to say. I, you know, she's been fine. I feel like her job is, yeah, she is. He did kind of throw her under the bus a little bit when he kind of assigned her the border detail. And people got very upset that she didn't tour the border, which I'm sure would have completely informed and changed all the decisions the White House is going to make on the border. It's right. completely nonsense PR political bs but whatever um you know well, I, I i'm not the world's biggest kamala harris fan I, I i will say that outright um which is not to say that i can never see myself voting for her but i i you know she's been she's been fine i really don't have a whole lot to add i she, she, to me she has been kind of a non-factor lewis yeah similar thoughts i haven't really heard much about um kamala harris uh, the biggest news story I heard, which adds on to Mike's whole uh, political BSPR thing, was when she tweeted, like, happy Memorial Day, 
And then that started a whole controversy about from the right, almost right. exclusively about like, how dare you? <laughs> you should right. resign right now for saying Memorial Day is like a happy occasion. It's a solemn thing. And then it's like you can pull up tweets probably from Trump over the past four years where he said happy Memorial Day or people in his circle said it. So, yeah, I haven't really whole, heard a whole lot about uh, Kamala Harris. So I, I was glad that when you at, brought it up, Lars, as a question that Mike, um, similarly to me, hadn't really heard much at all because I haven't really she hasn't really been uh, that much of an entity, which isn't surprising given the uh, vice presidential it, position. But it's interesting because she is actually very involved, like she's in almost every meeting. She's at almost every single news conference he does. Um, I, and, sure you she, know, she's now tasked with both immigration and uh, like voter protection, which are pretty big issues that Biden doesn't want to deal with, apparently. Yeah, I'm not I'm not opposed to her being more involved or anything. I just haven't uh, been made aware of it, um, probably due yeah. to my own just being generally unaware. Yeah, it's not covered very much. I would I would agree. OK, so that's kind of Biden's spring in his team. Let's move on to Biden's summer. So some major things that happened this summer is, of course, there was the back and forth on the infrastructure deal. It looks like we're finally there. You know, he got a group of uh, 10 more moderate Republicans. Uh, I, I say he, but it was also the work of senators, you know, Joe Manchin, Mitt Romney, uh, Kirsten Cinema, and the like uh, to agree to this infrastructure deal, which did pass the Senate. It is now sitting in the House. Uh, also happening this summer, you know, Biden declared on Independence Day our independence from COVID-19. We could all take our masks off if we were vaccinated. Uh, Mike joined me in Las Vegas. We went to the casinos <laughs> with no mask. But then the Delta variant comes. Now mass, mask mandates are back, uh, certainly in most Democrat-run states. Uh, and of course, finally, Afghanistan. So I want to be cognizant of the fact that this is a developing story. Uh, developing even especially as we record this today on August 26th, 2021, where today 12 U.S. soldiers were killed in an attack. That number has actually grown to 13. Ah, thank you, Mike. So 13 U.S. soldiers were killed in an attack outside of the airport in Kabul, and uh, over 50 other people have died. These 13 deaths this morning marked the entirety of all U.S. service member deaths in Afghanistan during the Biden administration. And they are more deaths than 2019 and 2020 combined. In fact, they are the first service member deaths in Afghanistan since March of 2020. So, yes, what's happened today is a big deal, and it's obviously a very dark day. But let's try not to prognosticate too far about it, because it happened today and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, but let's talk about kind of everything up to this point, including this withdrawal up to today mike you want to kick us off on you know in the infrastructure deal let's start on a on a high note <laughs> yeah i know i i think i think it, i think you could argue that it was actually has perhaps been the high note of his presidency thus far mm. um you know he ran as a guy who could get things done in a bipartisan manner and i think most people were probably skeptical of that but he, he he got he got a bill but you know for all the clamoring about trying to abolish the filibuster and things like that he got a bill passed the old-fashioned way right right um and yeah you can quibble with the things that they had to leave out f to make that happen and i think that's perfectly fine but something's way better than nothing and i think it's it's a pretty big deal that he is passing like a like new deal level legislation and mm -hmm. Most of the country is pretty OK with it. Good analysis. I, I remember you and I kind of talking, Mike, uh, like a month or two ago about it and how Biden is like the first president since you could argue kind of Bush, but like realistically since uh, like LBJ, who's had like decades of experience in Washington, uh, certainly decades of experience in the Senate. Right. Um, and it, this also kind of like, you know, our last Three presidents especially have been actually the last three presidents before Biden, actually the last four, really. Right. Is Clinton, uh, Bush Jr., <laughs> Obama and Trump had very little congressional experience. Obama had two years and that's all for all of them. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and now you have a guy who has decades of experience in the Senate and he. Is it a coincidence that like Senate <laughs> presidency relations like declined and now suddenly they're kind of looking a little better? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, There's a correlation at the very least. Indeed, indeed. That's where I'm trying to go with that. Uh, and it, you know, it's a pretty big deal. You know, it's a trillion dollars. It's not nothing. <laughs> so that's a high mark. Lewis, yes. let's, so things kind of take a downturn with the Delta variant, and now we're all back in well, mass, I, mask world. It's a, it's the thing that's unnerving is that it's kind of uncertain, right? I mean, it's happening, but um, we we don't really know the full extent or what's going to happen in the future, right? How do we feel about how the Biden administration has handled this? Because I, I think now his de- declaration of independence from COVID is obviously naive uh, or premature, to say the least. Um, do we feel like this is really something he could have stopped? Um, I probably not. I certainly not in eight months. Um, I, I think that though, the one thing I, I will, I will give him some guff for is, uh, I do think that the, whoever is doing communications, the CDC is on a very bad job. I, and, and this is, and has very little to do with like actually like re-upping the mask mandate. I think that's the thing you, it sounds like you had to do. It sounds like it's the right, the right call. Um, but just there have been so many leaks. Like there was that one PowerPoint that came out that essentially cast doubt on the effectiveness of the vaccines. And when it came to the Delta variant, there's just been so much like media churn coming out of that department. And that's been like a real, real problem, I think, has not helped when it comes to making people trust the vaccine and comply uh, with other COVID measures. I, I, and but I do think, you know, a lot he, he it really depends who you are. Right. I think if you are a person who uh, thinks that we need to do everything we can to stop the virus right now, he's clearly not doing enough, right? He is really letting states and cities figure it out on their own, outside of things like the mask mandates on public transportation, which I think is a thing that you know you should probably do right now, and 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 and, and of course vaccine mandates, mask mandates for federal buildings, federal workers, all of that. Um, I don't know if there's a heck of a whole lot he could do right now. I, outside of maybe a vaccine mandate for public transportation, I actually would not be opposed to that. I think it might be prudent. Um, but I, 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 if if you're a person who thinks we should go back into lockdown, I am sorry to say that there's absolutely no political will to make that happen. And that's not to say that maybe it's a thing that shouldn't happen, but it's just not going to happen. I people are okay with wearing masks and getting vaccinated and obviously not everybody but most people are um unfortunately i there there's there is no world in which we have to we're we're going to close down bars and restaurants again i and again it is and it's because it's 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 because it's the excuse me the politically expedient thing to do is that good is that bad who who knows? But I, I think, you know, we've I, I really don't know how to feel because people are dying. <laughs> people are suffering. And yet nobody really cares anymore. Frankly, uh, we, we are every state in the country is now at like the highest level of like COVID transmissibility. And we've all decided we don't really care anymore unless if we're vaccinated um, hmm. and maybe I'm painting with too broad a brush there. But uh, life is kind of going on, and I, I don't, I, I, I just, I don't really know what you do if you're in this position. I, I don't, outside of sort of like trying to, to get a little, like you know, like I said, the, the vaccine mandate for, for interstate public transportation. I, I don't know, I don't know how many other carrots or sticks Biden has in his arsenal right now. Yeah, I agree. It's just, it's frust- It must be frustrating to be Joe Biden because you sort of have to deal with. Um, a public that's sort of unwilling to, well, not not the public, but there's a, a sizable portion of the public, 20%, let's say, it could be lower, it could be higher, you guys can tell me that or not, that's unwilling to, like, come together as a nation and, like, do anything to sort of combat this at all. Like, um, like, like, like they're more than willing to just spite Joe Biden for want of being Joe Biden, <laughs> to keep this disease going by not wearing masks, by not choosing not to get the vaccine on purpose. 
And it, it, it's frustrating to, you know, be the president. It's like, what what more can I do? Yeah, I, I generally agree. It's like he 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 doesn't have the power to tell every state you have to have a mask mandate. Right. Uh, nor should he have that power. But yes, you're right. It must be frustrating is he he will bear uh, the blunt of the brunt of the criticism for this. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm sure I can speak for myself and I'm sure you two would agree if Trump were still in office, we would st- we would be wearing masks. We would have gotten the vaccine. Right. We would have you know done anything we could to, you know, stop this thing. It's not because we hate Trump or love Biden. It's, it's just, you know, we're, we're dealing with the <laughs> we love crisis. facts. <laughs> so, so in a way, Biden has actually done everything you guys have asked. He's said, go get a vaccine. He's imposed mask and vaccine mandates where he can. In your mind, Biden has succeeded <laughs> in our challenge with the Delta variant. Yes or no? <laughs> uh, well, I'm... no, he hasn't succeeded because it's still a problem. I like I. There's a difference between him doing everything he can and him succeeding. You can do everything sure. you can and still fail. I'm not right. saying he's explicitly failing either, but like I would not call this a success. <laughs> I, I would say is is Biden in no position to put pressure on governors of states like florida or the like to you know get off their butts and try to do something i i think he's cognizant of the fact that that would help those governors more if if the white house leans on like Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis is going to send out like a marketing email the next day right yeah i i i it, it is also a like yeah like it is a politically strategic decision i think um <laughs> Trump really recalibrated people's expectations when it comes to picking fights with other politicians in public, you know, whereas he was very critical of, say, Andrew Cuomo or Gretchen, <laughs> Gretchen Whitmer, Gretchen Whitmer, the other right. big one. You're, and th- there has been some back and forth between the Biden administration and Ron DeSantis. It's not like, you know, they've been playing nice. They certainly haven't. But he's not going to go on the kinds of rants or have the kinds of tweets that 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 Trump did. And again, there are some people who want, who want like a gladiator in office, like basically pounding their chest of the opposition and saying, uh, you know, let let's go. But I think that that, like you said, Lars, that helps no one. And, you know, I think the fact that like you look at the public polling and actually most people are OK with, say, mask mandates in public schools. And actually, right. I believe now the majority of Florida counties are opposing DeSantis's like anti-mask order order. Like, I hmm. actually believe the majority of Florida counties now have mask orders for their public schools. Um, so, you know, I there that that I think is a victory. I do think the people are with them on that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it it's an are you could argue it's a hands-off approach. But again, outside of making every resource available to people who need it and, you know, continuing to pass just these these massive dumps of stimulus money, I don't know what else uh, he's, he's going to do right now. Right. OK, moving on to the last thing that's happened kind of this summer, Afghanistan. I, I think the general consensus is that this withdrawal has not gone well. I'm not sure people were people were certainly surprised how quickly it did not go well. But I'm not sure anyone was surprised that it uh, no one thought this was going to go like smoothly. Right. So I, I guess I'm reflecting on a conversation Mike and I had last week, which now seems a little the story's developed very quickly. Right. And, and Mike and I were kind of talking about Afghanistan uh, and like how basically anyone in Biden's situation, like, like if Bernie Sanders would have been elected, would he have done something differently? And I, I think. You and I kind of agreed, like, no, basically this would have played out the exact same way. In fact, Bernie probably would have withdrawn withdrawn faster, right? Mm-hmm. So is this Biden's fault, how Afghanistan has, has kind of uh, deteriorated? The, the media seems to think his administration has really flubbed this one. And it's kind of the first time the media has actually really turned on him. I mean, that's just the media for you. You know, they, you know, anything to get people watching. Um, and, it's, you know, it's not it's easy to say, like, oh, people, military people are in danger. Let's be concerned. But it's like it's basically everyone's been saying this has been going to happen in Afghanistan for like the last 10 plus years is like anyone anyone who's like, oh, I'm shocked that happened. And it happened so quickly. I feel they're being facetious or politically disingenuous on purpose to drive home some sort of point or whatnot. So I applaud <laughs> Biden for, you know, 
and finally doing it and ending Afghanistan, this two decades long war that is almost as old as the three of us here sitting in this room. My uncle certainly could have, who was killed in Afghanistan three, three, four years ago in the Kabul International Hotel terrorist attack. He might still be alive if Obama had decided to end the war, Bush had decided to end the war, Trump actually might have decided to actually do something. So I applaud Biden for actually doing it um, to prevent more people from being in Afghanistan for no purpose or no reason when it was all going to fall apart like a house of cards uh, in 24 hours. I, I generally agree with you, Lewis. I guess I'm more referring to the dire human toll of people who supported the U.S. in Afghanistan who were kind of left behind. And then Biden was like, well, maybe we uh, maybe now that people are talking about it, I got to actually like put a little more effort into picking these people up. And then some of them were clinging to airplanes and like dying on tarmacs. I, I guess that's more where I'm going about where people think Biden dropped the ball on this. Mike, any thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I think he dropped the ball I am not a general. I am not a military expert, so I don't know how feasible, say, you know, maintaining Bagram Air Force Base and using that as another evacuation point would have been. But it seems to me, based on everything I know, that 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 would have been prudent. And it also seems to me that clearly the intelligence was bad, that, you know, they thought it would take maybe a few months for the Taliban to overrun the country. It it took them a matter of days, really. I I think it's been... More maybe more of a public relations issue right now than a tactical issue. Obviously, I think uh, the the ISIS attack today changed that calculus a little bit. But Biden saying uh, this will not be another Saigon. You will not see helicopters taking off from right. embassy rooftops. And then very similar images playing out was ill advised. Right. Um, and the fact that it seems like there hasn't been much of a systematic way to get American citizens and American allies out of the country is also looks pretty bad. I, you know, if you look at the sheer numbers, we have actually evacuated a tremendous amount of people out of the country. Yes. In fact, the White House's messaging uh, up until today, I would hope, has been like if if you look at this, we have evacuated thousands of people, but the, the focus has just been on like, you know, kind of micro events uh, and what's gone wrong. But they've actually executed this giant airlift over the last couple couple days and weeks. So I, I don't want to spend too much time on Afghanistan just because whatever we say today may change very dramatically tomorrow. But I, I'm looking, I guess, for a yes or no answer. Biden is committed to getting everyone out by an August 31st deadline. Uh, as we record that this today, that's, you know, in the next four days. Should he stick to that despite whatever may happen on the ground or should he be flexible? He should try to make it happen. Yes. I, I don't know. You know, he said that he is go, there's going to be retaliatory strike against the ISIS. ISIS K, I believe, is what the um, yeah. sort of branch in Afghanistan is called. Uh, I I don't you know, is are, is that drone strikes, is that airstrikes? I don't know. But I think getting I, things will only get worse if, if, if you're not fully evacuated by August 31st. This is this might be a little galaxy brained, but. The Taliban are not allies with ISIS. Like, they actually do not like each other. And if we can do our little territory strike and then maybe outsource some of the fighting to the Taliban, that might not be the worst thing in the world. And that's not an endorsement of the Taliban, who are very bad, but, you know, it's it's something to consider, I think. Uh, Mike's looking for a job at DOD, if anyone. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Lewis, you agree? Uh, time to, yeah, time I... to get out no matter what? Yeah, Biden needs to just rip that Band-Aid, and I can ask uh, you guys two questions to sort of back me up on that. It's like, one, would it not be a bigger disaster for him to just go back on everything right now and put more people down and just keep this thing going on longer? That would just also be bad. Might as well just finish it off all right now by August 31st. And two, do you think the average American will actually care about Afghanistan in about six months to a year from now? No. So I agree with you on your first first point, Lewis, where it is in Biden's best interest to get everybody out. This is also a very redundant thing to say. It's in his best interest to get everybody out as quickly as possible. But not just because, A, it's the objective, but B, also because then, to, to, to piggyback if your point, Lewis, fewer people will be talking about it. It doesn't think people will care about six months to a year from now. If you asked me yesterday, I would say no. If you ask me today, I think it's more likely now, given given the, the deaths. But I think the, the other point you have, Lewis, is that who... What Republican is going to run on sending us back to Afghanistan, right? You know, they'll say, ah, Biden did a bad job in Afghanistan, but there's no actual policy there to follow up on, right? There's no idea there. 
And considering that, again, getting out of Afghanistan is a proposition that most Americans support, you know, it it's harping on it, I don't think will be a winning issue for the Republicans. Again, maybe saying that, oh, you know, if you can't trust them with this, what can you trust them with? Again, maybe that'll be an issue. I think that will it come up? Yes. But I think things like mask mandates and school closures and inflation and a whole host of other issues will be bigger problems, uh, not problems, but they will be bigger topics of discussion uh, in, you know, six, six months to a year. Speaking of six months to a year, uh, as we move towards the end here, I want to kind of talk about uh, Biden's legacy so far, how you see kind of the next year going, right? Is, is Biden is now at his highest disapproval rating ever and lowest approval rating ever. Um, and this does seem to be kind of a turning point uh, as we move into kind of this next stage of his presidency. Um, c- could you, do either of you have, have a prediction of kind of what Biden's legacy is shaping up to be in like a sentence? Uh, is it net positive could be... <laughs> Yeah, I would say it's net positive. Going off what Mike said earlier, it's like I, Biden seems like a very sort of FDR light in my view. So I feel like if he can just keep that trend going, then I feel like he'll have a pretty good legacy in terms of the history books. Um, that's what I think of Biden's legacy so far. Mike? I I think it 1000% depends on who you are. <laughs> um, if, 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 if I think if you are... Um, a, a a more right-leaning person. Joe Biden is everything that you said the Democrats were. They are weak on foreign policy, and they want to do nothing more than spend other people's money on people who are not you. I think if you are a more left-leaning person, Joe Biden is someone who has restored normalcy to the executive branch and who has been surprisingly progressive in areas that perhaps you didn't expect. Um, so you, I, 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 I know that's... I know that's more of a sentence, but ask your question, yes. Well, you so you think it's basically baked in. Biden's legacy will be baked in depending on how you no. felt. Uh, yeah, yes and no. I think whether or not you... you <laughs> I, 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 we live in such a polarized age that, yes, I do think in a sense it is baked in. But what maybe perhaps what we remember for him for most will not be. I think that it honestly all just depends on the pandemic and the economy. If the economy, okay. you know ratchets back up and the pandemic subsides people are gonna be like you know what he was mostly pretty good if it doesn't then they're gonna be pretty disappointed um i don't know how optimistic i am about things working out frankly but (laughs) um yeah but 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 yeah and and this is really more of an like i'm i'm honestly more interested in like what people think of him 50 years from now than what they think of him three years from now because When we record this podcast in 50 years, we can <laughs> let people know. Well, right, but it's like, I don't know, because it's like in in uh, in August of 1953, you know, were, were, were people like, you know, pretty sure what Dwight D. Eisenhower's legacy was going to be? Yeah, I'm just asking for a prediction. Yeah. But to kind of end this episode. So before Biden even took office, he declared that there are four crises that his administration was determined to address. There was the health crisis, the economic crisis, the climate crisis and racial equality. One last question before we wrap it up. (laughs) If you're Joe Biden, would you maybe add any crisis right now that is missing from that list? I I mean, there's uh, I mean, Afghanistan is like crisis esque right now. I don't know that you would like your hope is that it's done by August. <laughs> right. Are there any foreign policy crises going on right now? Maybe if you're if you, if you if you're one of those people who thinks China is about to invade Taiwan, then I guess that maybe there's a China crisis. But those, those seem like the top four to me. Maybe like the disinformation slash social media crisis. These these tech companies are very big and they have a lot of personal information that uh, I think after you know, the recent few years, we can see that it's, you know, they're not putting it to the best possible use. And there are hardly any laws on the books, even though they've been around for quite a long time. That is also related to the generally high age of a lot of Congress people. So I think maybe doing something to stem that tide might be worth looking into. Okay. I I think I would add democratic crisis. I, I think that, 
you could kind of incorporate, you know, uh, some parts yeah, of racial I, equity into that. But I also realize it's hard for a president to say there is a crisis in our democracy, um, even though I think it is literally true. Yeah, I, um, I didn't want to say like something like the GOP crisis. Well, I'm, I'm surprised how little he's I, I guess I'm just surprised how little he, he talks about what is clear, clearly like our, our republic, like on the verge of something very dark. Right. Yeah, I. I guess I don't think he thinks that's his role. Leave that to the backbenchers and, and, and the actual party organ itself. Literally just him being president is, is doing that, right? Like, right. Isn't like, like how many, how, like you can't just say, hi, I'm President Joe Biden. I beat Donald Trump. Don't right. forget it. You know, so many times. Like I, I it's, it's the, 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 the problems with sort of just like America's problems with just like accepting truths and facts go uh, way beyond any government action. They are like spiritual and societal diseases that, <laughs> um, you know, are, are just kind of more existential than, not existential, but really ethereal than material. You can't, I don't know. It's, it's unless you want to go back in time and stop the internet from ever being invented, I think you're going to have a tough time. <laughs> fixing those problems uh early spirit being very proactive i feel like i've been so pessimistic this episode and uh that's okay <laughs> we uh it's it's a, it's a good time to be a little pessimistic things are a little dark right now but it sounds like there's some optimism there so i think we will end with that thanks for listening everyone let us know what you think on twitter you can of course follow us at the post writer or via our email address uh you can email us contact at thepostwriter.com politics express is a postwriter podcast brought to you by thepostwriter.com you can check out other stuff we work on uh things we've written other podcasts and more over there my thanks to you guys thanks lewis and mike for joining i hope you had a good time talking about biden thank uh, you yeah and we will see you all next time whatever we discuss then